Um, we're in a sermon series in 2 Corinthians, and we are covering those things that the Apostle Paul holds on to so dearly. They're so big in his life that they draw him toward the kingdom. The analogy that I've been using is gravitational force, that everything with mass has gravitational force, but the larger the mass, the more force there is. And for Paul, what are those really large objects? And we've looked at two of them so far. One, he does not give in to the bitterness and to the failure because he believes his ministry is a gift from God, not a burden that's placed on him. And number two, he doesn't give up even when things are really, really tough because even though he has suffered tremendously, one other giant object for Paul is that suffering God uses for redemptive purposes. And so Paul sees his suffering and God doing something with it in the lives of people. And so today we hit a third one, a third reason why Paul does not give up, he does not give in, he doesn't stop ministry, but he keeps going. Would you pray with me? Our loving heavenly Father, as we come before you to hear your word, Lord, we ask you to speak to us. May this be a time that is supernatural. Lord, not just my words, but your word. Lord, wherever we are, whatever we're going through, the things that might distract us or bring us down, or that we would be able to take all of that Set it at the foot of the cross and hear from you. Encourage and equip us in all areas of life to live kingdom first. Every day of every week of every year for your honor and glory. In the name of Jesus, amen. My son, my five-year-old, loves music. I mean, loves music. He has for probably the last year and a half or so, um, every time you get in the car, you know, can you turn the music on? Um, and, and my 12-year-old and my 7-year-old, they like music too, but only my 5-year-old has a playlist. I mean, that is how much he loves music. And he knows the songs too. And I just wanted to give you a little preview of his list because it's not like, you know, Disney specials. This is my son's, one of his playlists. I'll read a few songs and the people who are responsible for those songs. A Million Lives by Jake Miller. Cups by Anna Kendrick. Airplanes by B.O.B. Don't Waste Your Life by Lecrae. Shake It Off by Taylor Swift. I'm Still Standing by Taryn Egerton. Can't Stop the Feeling by Justin Timberlake. All That Matters by Colton Dixon. Uptown Funk, which is a scary song around little kids. There's one section in there where it sounds like they're saying something they're not saying. And you know how kids mispronounce words? Bad part for them to sing. Sharp Edges by Linkin Park. I mean, it's just this eclectic list of stuff. This is my five-year-old, and he knows all the songs, too. Like, he sings them. Um, currently, his favorite is The Greatest Showman. Like almost every song except for Tightrope. When he gets to Tightrope, he's like, I don't like that song. 
Go fast, fast that one. I don't want to hear that one. But he loves music, and we noticed that he loves to dance. Now, he is not exceedingly graceful in his dancing. I mean, he's like a wrestler. He loves to tackle and be tackled, and when we are wrestling, he hurls his whole body at me. Like, it's just dead weight. He just jumps. You know, that's what he's like. But every time music is playing, he starts moving. I'm not even sure he knows he's moving sometimes. It's like this unconscious thing. You're looking at him. He's moving. He just loves dancing. And so Aaron saw a hip-hop class and enrolled him in a hip-hop class. So every Tuesday, my son and four little girls (laughs) do hip-hop. And they just had their first recital yesterday morning. Friday, they go to the practice, and it is very clear that my son does not know his moves. (laughs) And so my wife, when they get home, she's recorded it, and she's recorded both his moves and the actual moves, and she's asked my daughter, go upstairs and work with him and see if we can just get him a little more prep. And he's like, no, I don't want to do it. Like, no, you need to do it. You're not ready. I am ready. You are not ready. I know my moves. No, you don't. Go upstairs. Well, Aaron's, this is the third child, so she knows, no, you're going to do this. Go upstairs. So he goes upstairs. They practice for a little while. It felt like an eternity. It was about three minutes of yelling and screaming until finally she goes, come back down. You have to do this. And he goes, I know my moves. And she goes, fine. Show them to us or go up there and practice. No, I know them. Show them to us or go up there and practice. And at that point, he just turns on the waterworks. Chocolate chip-sized tears flowing down his face. And again, she's had a few kids. No, you're going to do this. Uh, You need to practice this. And so they give it a little bit of a shot, still doesn't work, comes back down. Again, show it to us. This time, like Hershey Kiss-sized tears. I don't know how he even cried them. There's like a puddle at his feet. He's weeping. Fine. You know them, we'll let you do it. I know my moves. My son believes in himself to a ridiculous degree. You cannot convince my five-year-old of anything that he does not believe in. My two older, my, his two older siblings have been trying to get him to eat a grape for a year. They've offered him, like, you can have an extra cookie. You can have half of my Christmas presents at Christmas time. I don't care. He will not eat the grape. Because when he sets his mind to something, you just can't change it. Can I ask you? How staunchly do you hold to your professed beliefs? He would not budge. You do not know this. I know this. You do not know this. I know this. How much do you budge? Like how much is what you say you believe truly, not just what you believe, but what you live? The Apostle Paul today Here's his third giant object. This is going to sound so simple. He really, really believes the things that he's teaching. 
He believes them as a reality, not as a duty, not as a tradition, not as a job, not as just something that might be good to do. Like he really, truly thinks this is reality. And because of that, nothing turns him away because it's reality for him. Let me show you. Open up your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're starting in verse 13. We finished up with verse 12 last week. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. He is quoting from Psalm 116 where the psalmist is going through a lot of struggles. And yet, he believes, and so he continues to speak through the troubles. And if you read the psalm, he will keep calling on Yahweh to save him because he believes it. And so even when things get tough, he doesn't stop speaking the truth. He doesn't stop turning to Yahweh. He believes it. And Paul says, we have the same spirit of faith. This is what we have also. The reason, and if you go back when we were talking about all the way from verse 1 up to this point, and we read a numerous list of how much Paul had suffered, the things he'd gone through, the failures in his life, and yet he's still going. Why is he still going? Because he honestly believes. In fact, keep going in that verse 14, knowing, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. We know this. We know that we cannot serve him too much. We know that we can't go too far because we know, we believe it is a reality that we too will be raised as he was. It's this kind of reality for Paul. So we are heading out right after church to Colorado. We will, by the time we're done with the sabbatical, put about 5,000 miles on our van. Our back tires don't look very good. So last week, I went to Costco, and the guy said, can I help you? And I said, I may need new tires. Can you come out and check? You know, which What a terrible thing to say. I don't know what I'm doing. He could have sold me new tires if they were a week old because I wouldn't know the difference. Guy comes out there. He's like, yeah, let me go to the parking lot. He's looking. He's doing stuff. And I'm just waiting for him to turn around. Yeah, you need like five tires for this car. It's so bad. (laughs) And the guy says, how far are you going? 5,000 miles? Yeah, I wouldn't change them right now. Really? Like I'm taking my kids with me, my wife. Are you sure? He's like, if I were taking my family, I'd feel safe in this. I I wouldn't change them right now. I'd wait till you get back. That'd just be a waste of your money. Guess what? I didn't change my tires. When some tire guy who doesn't try to jip me and get money out of me, and he says, yeah, I mean, I'd put my family in this car. I'm like, all right then. (laughs) Like, I believe. And I did not change my tires. Um, For Paul, his faith Is that kind of reality? What's our reality of our faith? 
I want to give you a couple of suggestions, uh, a couple of ways of viewing it. Um, I have probably at different times fallen into each of these categories. Just kind of think about yourself right now and where you sit and where your faith is. Here are a couple of ways that we might be different from the Apostle Paul. Number one, we might not really believe. Now, I don't honestly think that that is most of this room, or maybe any in this room, but we don't really believe. It's a profession of an idea, but it's not a reality in our minds and our hearts and our lives. In 2016, Barna, one of their studies, came back with these results. 73% of the nation professes to be Christian. That is a large number of people. But, listen to this, 34% attend church with any kind of regularity. 34% read the Bible at all outside of hearing it in church. 19% volunteer at some kind of nonprofit, and 18% volunteer in a church setting. Now, just look at the discrepancy. There is definitely a profession, but then there's a huge discrepancy between those people who would say, I am doing what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I'm gathering together and I'm worshiping the Lord. I'm serving and using my life. I am in some way in the very foundation of what I say I profess. One of the reasons that some people don't live out faith is because it's not real. They don't really believe it. But again, I really don't think that's most people in this room. Maybe nobody in this room. Um, However, you should consider yourself at different parts of your life. Number two, a different way of viewing it. Sometimes we do believe, but we don't care. We actually know what is right and even think it's right, but we don't care. Have you ever gone on a diet that you know works, but you couldn't resist the chocolate chip cookie anyway? Because you just wanted it more than the diet. Sometimes it's not necessarily that we're not believing the stuff so much as it is we're going, I just want this more. I want this item. I want this sin. I want this attitude. I just want this lifestyle more than I want this. Is that you? Number three. Um. I just forgot number three. Man, I have number four, but number four goes right into the rest of my sermon. And so, you know, missing number three just really kind of messes me up. Gosh, I have to go look it up. It's, it's kind of that important. I haven't had to do this in so long. I'm going to mumble about it for a while while I look it up and pretend to, oh, yeah, I knew it was really important. Man, I need a rest. I need a sabbatical. I'm going to take one of those soon. Um, here's why it's it's so important. I think the last two are probably the ones that may be um, the most prevalent in the church. Um, Number one, 
we have a deficient view of faith. Right? And, and let me explain what I mean by giving you an illustration. We have a deficient view of faith. Um, there is a priest um, by the name of Steve Blinsky, and when he teaches a confirmation class, one of the things he does in the class is he takes a jar and he fills the jar with marbles. And then he asks all of the kids, I want you to guess how many marbles are in this. You know, probably every kid is done with jelly beans or something. So they write the number down. And then he says, now I also want you to write down what your favorite song is. I write all that down. And then he says, all right, let's go around the room. And everybody gives their number. And then he says, all right, the actual number is this. Who's right? And, and oh, he's right. Everybody knows this person's right. He says, all right, now, let's go around. Name your favorite song. Everybody names it. Now, which one is the best song? And every year, kids are like, well, it's, this one's the best for me. And, and that one's the best for that person. But, and then he says this. Is your faith more like the marbles or the song? Which one are you? Because in our culture, it's more like the song. Faith is a very individual, subjective thing. It's not a reality that we live in. It's whether or not it's working for us or not working for us. It's whether or not it makes us happy or doesn't make us happy. Right? That is not biblical Christianity. The Bible presents a reality that God created the world and us loves us, wants a relationship with us, and actually cares how we live our lives. And he laid it out to say, live like this. But when your view of faith is very, very subjective, because if you've been in the faith at any amount of time, you will know sometimes God's plans are not your plans. Amen? Amen. Sometimes what he wants from you is not comfortable, it's not what you want for yourself, which means if it is subjective, which direction are you gonna go? Yours. But if it's reality, if this is who you are, who God is, what the universe is, it says something very different about faith because I don't care if you think there's 52 marbles in that jar or not. There were 55. And you're not right no matter how hard you believe it. There's still 55. Sometimes our problem with faith is a deficient view of faith. It is not a subjective experience. Now, it is subjective in the sense that we experience God. But the reality of Jesus Christ, it does not change based on what we believe, think, feel, or anything else. It just is. But number four, and this is the one that I think I have struggled the most with. Um, fear. There's a whole lot of things I really do believe, but I struggle with my fear. And oftentimes my fear is simply stronger than my faith. Um, and, and here's what I mean by really believing. I, as I said, we're getting ready to go to Colorado. One of the places we're going to go is Cave of the Winds. And part of the reason we're going, my kids don't know this, uh, my kids think we're going for their sake. We're going for my sake, not their sake. Because I have to conquer something. There is a ropes course at Cave of the Winds, 
And one segment of it, this one corner, sits over a 300-foot drop. Now, here's the thing. You are tied in by a rope that you can actually grab the rope, lift your feet off the ropes, and just hang on to it. You're not going anywhere. You are there stuck on that rope. It cannot let you go. I know that. I believe that. But you know what? Last year, I started walking out. Now, there's three ways to get to this corner. One of them is relatively easy. The other two are not. I started with the easy one. And I'm walking out there, and I'm holding on to my rope, and I get to the edge. I know I am safe, but I cannot convince myself that I am safe. I turn, and I'm like holding on to the pillar. And I'm looking over at my daughter, who's just like, woohoo, look at me go, I'm amazing. <laughs> and for the first time, my daughter has beat me in something. <laughs> there is a reason I'm going back. <laughs> I got something to prove. And I held on to this pillar, and I'm like, I got to walk back. I'm one of these other ones. I couldn't do it. I could not make myself do it. I walked back on the safe one and never turned around and went back again. I had to get down. Not this year. (sighs) Who knows? (laughs) But here's the thing. I believe in the reality of Jesus Christ. And yet, there are times I will not say something to somebody that I know I need to say because I'm afraid. I'm afraid I'm gonna look stupid. I'm afraid I'm not gonna have the right answer. I'm afraid I'm gonna turn them away. I mean, all these things. Um, Sometimes I know I need to treat a person a certain way, but I am afraid to treat them that way because then what about my feelings? I I mean, I'm not going to get the justice I deserve, or I'm not going to get the compassion I deserve, or this situation isn't going to change. If I do what God wants me to do, I risk something, and I'm too afraid to risk it. Even though I believe in the reality of Christ, as much as I believe in the reality of that rope is able to keep me from falling into that chasm. But I can't seem to overcome the fear. And I wonder how many of us have that kind of fear at times in our lives. It's not that we don't have faith. It's just our fear is stronger. So, what do we do? What did Paul do? What made Paul different? How is his faith so big? Um, I'm going to speak to just this passage. But what I will say is, you could say a number of things about Paul. Um, Based on what we know of his life, he's super crazy passionate. I mean, no matter whether he was persecuting Christians or going to like build the kingdom, he threw everything into it. So part of it may just be his personality. We know he had a radical experience with the risen Lord, which transformed him. That could be part of it too. But what I do know is the next two things he says, they are reasons why Paul doesn't give in and doesn't give up. They're reasons that Paul keeps going. They're reasons that he believes so strongly that it's such a foundation, such a reality for him. Unfortunately, you kind of have to take the step before you'll see why, for him, he doesn't want to give up. Look back at 2 Corinthians. Verse 15, For it is all for your sake, so that... As grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving 
to the glory of God. Let me be really, really practical. One of the reasons this is so big for Paul, it works. Paul's actually seeing fruit. As Paul gets out there and he shares the gospel, there are people accepting the gospel, their lives are changing, and glory's being given to God. It's really simple. Paul says, we believe this stuff and we're seeing the reality of it. Now here's the amazing thing about that reality. I talked about this last week or the week before that. If you look at the city of Corinth, 50 or so people are the estimate that came to Christ out of a million. Figure that percentage out. Paul had a whole lot more failure than he did success. But you know what mattered to him? Every single soul that came. For Paul, he was seeing the gospel do its work. And so even when he suffered, even when he looked stupid, even when he was rejected, even when they wanted to stone him or whatever they were doing to him, if one person was coming, yes, he works. Yes, I know all of these people rejected me, but this person knows Jesus Christ now. It worked. Paul's faith actually made a difference. And so he kept preaching it. That was one reason. Here's the second. Verse 16. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. All right, I have to stop there. I read to you the list later on in 2 Corinthians of the shipwrecks and the beatings and the stonings and everything else. That's not his only list either. You know that Paul has been brutalized. And he uses these words to describe it. Light, momentary affliction. To me, that's like a headache. A cough. Not a stoning. Um, But let me tell you in Greek what these words are. And maybe it will help you understand. Light in Greek means light. (laughs) Not of much weight or consequence. And momentary means momentary. Not of much weight or consequence. Seriously? Like everything he's going through, this is how he describes it? Why? Because his inner self is being renewed day by day. I'm telling you, that is amazing to think. Here is Paul just being attacked and rejected and betrayed and turned on and brutalized. And yet inwardly, he's being renewed day by day. So that the outward to him, he can say, it's a light momentary affliction. Go ahead and throw another stone Let me describe it this way. Um, how many of you exercise? Just raise your hand. Good. Exercise is good. I have exercised most of my life in one form or another. Um, half the time it was my parents making me because we're in sports. and um, Sometimes I just felt fat and so I wanted to do something about it. But just kind of throughout my life it's always been exercise. 
here's the one thing I know about building muscle. You have to tear it down to build it. You damage it, and then it reforms stronger. You're actually doing damage to become stronger. However, here's the other part of it. And by the way, I read a bunch of technical stuff on this, and I thought about going through all the technical things, except Dr. Brian McFarland is sitting back there, and I didn't want to look like an idiot. Remember that fear thing? Yeah, I was afraid. If you have real questions about this, just go talk to him. That's what he does for like a living. But this is true. If you break the muscles down, and then you do not get either the rest or the nutrition to build them back up, you will not have the same result. You need the rest and you need the nutrition in order to build them back up. The same is true in the Christian life. And here's the problem, I think, for most of us. We are living the Christian life just getting beat up without rest and without nutrition. We are out there and we're trying to do the best we can and we just get hit and we get hit and we get hit and we get hit. And then we wonder why we're laying on the ground unable to get up. We are missing common things. We need rest. We need rest in the Lord. We need nutrition. If you are not praying, if you are not spending some time in the word, if you are not, and and this is actually part of nutrition, if you are not serving the Lord, there's no way to build up All you're doing is just getting hit by the world. And so you're deflated. But when we get the nutrition and the rest, much like the muscles, we can build up. Paul is being brutalized and yet being renewed. It is an incredible thing. And you know what? Because of that, he keeps going. His belief is so strong, partly because he sees it works. People are actually having lives changed, and his life is being changed. All right, so here's the problem, and this is where I will end. You have to actually do it. Like, to experience that, you have to actually do it. Because that was the result of Paul serving, not the thing that came first. The result of it. Yesterday, as we went to this dance recital, there were 11 performances. Of those 11 performances, there was one group of girls, they performed three times, they were older. They did some pretty incredible things. The rest of them were all adorable little kids, like between four and six. Um, And all of these enormously cute little girls with like all these beautiful dresses and, you know, outfits, I mean, just over and over and over again. But right in the middle, number six, was my son. And I kid you not, when their group walked out, the whole place exploded. (laughs) And through the entire thing, they were cheering louder than they did for any other group. And, And here's my thought. There was only one boy in the entire thing all day long. And that boy did not know his moves. (laughs) 
he was up there just going all over the place and looking at all these girls like, what? That's what I'm supposed to do? And like he's one step behind all the time. And, but you know what? He did every wrong move with absolute passion and gusto. You would have thought all the girls were wrong and he was the only one doing it right because he believes even when it's wrong and everybody out there believed. I mean, they literally were like cheering and I even looked at Aaron and I'm like, listen to them. Like they were just so into this because he believed. Here's the amazing thing about Christianity and I stand here unapologetically and say this. It is the truth. And you can believe with all your heart, with all your passion, and with all your gusto. And you can leave it all to God. That's what Paul does. It's a gift. Leave it all to him. And then see the way God might respond. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your son. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your great love with which you have loved us first. Lord, fill us with faith. Give us that kind of faith that, that let the Apostle Paul just keep going without giving up, without giving in, but remaining on the course that you had set for him. Lord, give us that kind of faith and let us see the results. Let us see the ways when we are doing your plan that you will work. Lord, renew us inside. Let there be impact on the outside. Let us be people of faith in the one true God. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.